0: Thanks, Alice, very much indeed. Uh, well, we've had a real sea change since last week into Corinthians, where Abraham and uh, Stephen and probably someone else were preaching uh, last week, and it was all sort of encouraging and strengthening, or might have been less encouraging if you were looking at your bank accounts and deciding God was asking you something there, uh, but it was encouraging. And um, today we're into what feels like a completely different letter. Um, so should we, should we stand, sort of just sort of shake off a little, and we'll pray while we're standing. Do not want to fall asleep for this one? This is, uh, this is like boom, okay. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your scripture. We thank you that it is like a double-edged sword and it can pierce and it also can transform us. We thank you that there is power in the name of Jesus. Thank you that you are able to knock down false arguments and set us free and even make our, our thoughts captive to Jesus rather than to the world pray that tonight, as we look at this passage and look at this uh, part of 2 Corinthians, that you'll do something wonderful in our minds and hearts and release us to follow you well. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. One of my um, theological heroes, I don't know if you're allowed to have those, um, but anyway, one of them died this week, a guy called Gordon Fee. In 1998, I went to Stoney Bible Conference um, and uh, I have a massive, massive tome called God's Empowering Presence, which is like the original charismatic theology book, basically. Um, And uh, I've got it at home, and in the inside cover is my handwriting saying, I commit to reading this. Um, It's now 2000 and whatever it is, uh, quite a few years after 1998, so I think I'm going to have to finish it um, now. But it's an incredible book. Um, And I was looking at it this week because uh, he he touches on Corinthians uh, quite, quite regularly, and And Gordon Fee says, ooh, it feels like 2 Corinthians 10 is the beginning of uh, of a brand new letter. In fact, letter 5 to the Corinthians in the interchange of what's been going on for Paul with them. He's going to have a third visit to them, uh, and this feels like a fifth letter. And if you you might have been following us last week if you were here, um, or you're following us online, and you you realize that the the final bit of chapter 9 finishes like this. And the service you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service that you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for your obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you. And this is like you can feel the music building up. You know when they start the sort of mood music, like Levi comes on the piano and it's like, you know, sort of crescendoing in the background and you've got that sort of emotional high uh, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And then may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, love of God, and be with you evermore. Amen. Full stop, bless to finish, go home. Um, but something's happened. It might be that Timothy is sitting there with Paul and he's like, you've missed something out, Paul. <laughs> what about these guys? Or it might be that there's actually a gap and uh, he's got reports back from Corinth and he's written a whole new second letter and it's sort of been tacked onto it later on. Or it might be that it just something comes into his head and he goes, oh, I've got to handle this one thing. Because if you, if you look ahead and what Fee says is he thinks that chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13 are a whole separate letter. But if you look ahead to chapter, uh, to chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, he's concerned for a couple of things. He's concerned that when he comes to them, uh, verse 20: I may find you as uh, may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come again, God will humble me before you because you're not basically doing as good as I thought you would be, and I'll be grieved over many things and uh, many people who've sinned earlier and have not repented of impurity sexual sin and debauchery in which they have indulged and he's like it's going to be a difficult meeting and imagine gearing up for the church council meeting where that's sort of in the back of your mind i've got to confront them on like sexual sin i've got to confront them on gossip i've got to confront them on slander this is a nightmare i know what i'll do i'll write them an email. I'll write them an email and see if they can sort it out before I get there. And maybe, like, the church wardens will take some of them aside and uh, the treasurer will take some of them aside. And I'll just, like, bang their heads together so that when I come and lead their church weekend away, we can have a jolly together (laughs) and we can have some fun. He's got it in his head. We've got to sort this out because this is is a mess. And uh, I guess life sometimes gets us in a mess, doesn't it? Anyone ever sort of felt they've got in a mess in the Christian walk? I don't know if you're a Christian here this evening, but sometimes you can get in a mess, can't you? And in particular, in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul's going to describe the mess like a sort of fortress that you can get captured in. And let's have have a look at how that goes. Um, Cool, I like that. Um, He says, uh, we'll start from the beginning, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Uh, I, who am humble or timid when face-to-face with you, but bold when you are away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. But though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And this is the first image of a stronghold. Now, I don't know if you uh, ever got dragged on Sunday afternoon walks when you were a child um, into the countryside. Uh, I remember going to uh, various places that had still had mounds of uh, motts and baileys. Anyone have to do motts and baileys when they're at school? You have to sort of build a motte and bailey, which is like one of those ancient um, sort of castles that we have in England. And they, you make an artificial mound. And on the top of that, you would build a stronghold. And that was similar in the ancient Near East. People would build stronghold castles. Uh, and... And then in the very top of the stronghold, there would be an even more secure high place. And, uh, and, you know, from the Mots and Baileys or from the ancient castles, you'd have a fence going round and you'd have a big, solid, strong door. And Paul's saying that you can get trapped in naff rubbish thinking. It can be like a stronghold over your life. And we've got the power to demolish that. And he's going to set up how he demolishes it. And we'll see, we'll see that in a second. But to understand what this sort of stronghold is that's been built up for these people, you need to sort of get into chapters 10 through 13. And one of the strongholds is um, a sort of, sort of self-indulgent thinking about myself. And it's been built up by people who have come along into the Corinthian church since Paul was last there and basically said to them whatever they wanted to hear. You're right, you're great. Do whatever you like, you're free. Just get on with life. Jesus loves you. Life's good. Indulge, enjoy yourself. Or maybe you've already got all the secrets of heaven in your hand already. You've got all the power already. You can just do anything you like. There's nothing difficult now. And anyone who looks weak or rubbish, they're not living the full Christian life because they still look weak and rubbish. Real Christians are confident overcomers. They're not weak like, oh, who's that guy whose name means small again? Um, Who's that guy? Paul. The small guy. The small guy. The one who had a bit of a stutter. The one who had a bit of a list. That sort of middle-aged bloke with receding hairline. He's rubbish. He couldn't even take money off you because he wasn't worth it. And these people who were here next week were called super apostles by Paul in a sort of ironic way have come in and decimated the church with their rubbish. And Paul's saying, actually, I've got something that can knock down their careful arguments, their arguments that puff you up. And it's the cross. It's not explicitly mentioned here. But he talks about a weapon that we fight with, which is not the weapons of the world. At one level, there, there are weapons that we hear about in the book of Ephesians that people have. But really, the weapon he's talking about here is the weapon of the gospel of Jesus. And I want you to imagine this strong citadel and the cross uh, being the thing that attacks the strongholds in our life. the first way I'd like you to imagine is it's like a battering ram. It's something that you just, Alice laughed, so maybe I should get you to be part of the demonstration. (laughs) Okay, I won't, I won't. But the, the cross, first of all, It's like a battering ram. The defenses that we've built up, where we say, I'm all right, I can do things my way, the cross comes and pounds on our heart. Have you ever had that experience? Sometimes you have that experience in worship, and they're singing, You know, the cross has said it all, or Once Again, I look upon the cross where you died, or when I survey the wondrous cross, and suddenly your heart is like, Yeah, that's things banging on the door of my heart. And it Breaks through a layer. But then sometimes we've got so entrenched in the I did it my way school of theology that we're up in that stronghold, we're up in that high tower. And in that case, the cross becomes a sort of a a gangplank that the invading army, which is God's army, can. um, Alice, I'm going to need you. You've got to come and hold the stand. Come on. Superstar, all right. The invading Alice is in the tower. She's, yeah, there you are, you're a captured Christian. You stand, you're standing there in the tower, there you are. And the cross is there. And up this cross is gonna come the gospel of Jesus, the cross of Jesus. And it's gonna rescue uh, Alice from being trapped in this stronghold, even if she's got into the highest of places. Do you know, you know that experience where you've, you've got a bit trapped? in sin or something and then you've got entrenched in sin do you know that one I mean some of you may know no I never get entrenched in sin I'm, I'm fine well thank God for you like keep praying <laughs> but for the rest of us you got entrenched in sin and actually the third thing that the gospel does is it then takes us captive and that means Alice gets to come down the cross uh, here and becomes follow. follow on Alice come on and get freed uh, by the cross and proceeded uh, what's a procession as a verb hello it's like a reunion tonight i'm loving this so many she gets she gets freed and delivered and set free and put back in her place and the amazing thing is that this amazing 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 gospel of the cross it breaks through all of these stupid pretensions that we have. And, you know, I, I was reading this the first time, and I thought, I thought a lot of Zebedee when we were looking at these words, actually, divine power to demolish strongholds. And I thought, I wonder what it is that Paul had about him that could demolish strongholds. You know, is it his amazing intellectual ability? And I, I brought um, underneath Joe's seat there, as a, a couple of books, if you pass me um, the... The uh, Not the Bible, we've got that one already. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I pulled out this, this amazing book, The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Scepticism by a guy called Timothy Keller, a New York pastor. I thought, I wonder if it's that, the ability to demolish those sort of intellectual strongholds. And if you've never read Keller, it, his writing's phenomenal, really helpful in breaking down some strongholds. Uh, but then the more I got into it, the more I realised that Paul didn't really have a lot that he's saying is going for him except that really, really simple gospel of the cross and the cross, he says, is what breaks it down the cross that comes to us weak and says if you just believe and trust in Jesus, you can be free if you'll come to that cross and repent, you can be free if you say sorry for my sins, you can be free and Zeb, every time I've been thinking about this passage, I've been thinking about you, and I think this might be a little life first for you, my friend. Um, I'm presuming you're not taking notes, but my, your mum might be. Um, and I believe that God would like you to know that you have divine power to demolish strongholds. And it's just really cool, because that just means knowing the cross and knowing the gospel, and it will break down everything around you. You know, I, I've got um, an evening out coming up with um, a guy who used to be Bishop of London, and uh, he's, he's a lovely encourager since he's retired. And I met with him before he finished, and he said to me, Richard, you just got to remember your words, because this culture that you're living in is fading. It's like the end of an empire-type season. You can see them through history. He was a historian, Richard Richard Chartres. He said, if you look through history... Uh, empires and worldviews collapse on themselves and we're living in this sort of what you might call late modernism or other clever words and it's basically collapsing on itself it doesn't have the intellectual capability of holding itself together We're, we're growing up and we're teaching people you can believe almost whatever you like it's your truth and that doesn't really hold intellectually or morally or ethically in any way whatsoever it's a redundant philosophy piggybacking on older philosophies, basic Judeo-Christian philosophies. But around the time you come of age, my friend, it's likely to be collapsing a little bit around it. And one of the things that will cause it to collapse is the same thing that's caused empires to collapse down the ages. It's from a vision from a guy called Daniel. Do you remember the story? There was a statue. And the statue was of four great empires. A golden head, a silver head, A chest, and then a brass section, and then a, a, um, uh, what what do you call it, Um, steel, steel section at the bottom, steel and clay at the bottom. And this uh, prophecy given to Daniel, a dream given to Daniel six centuries before uh, Jesus came, was a successive empires of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, of the Medes and Persians, of the Greeks, and then of the Roman Empire. And to the bottom of this statue comes a tiny little stone. And the stone knocks over the whole statue. And the stone is Jesus and his kingdom. And for all the cleverness and majesty of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's hanging gardens of Babylon, all the magnanimity of Cyrus the Persian and the wonderful Iranian empire that um, ruled the world, there came this tiny little empire with a weak leader, a weak leader called Jesus. What Paul describes as a humble and gentle Jesus. And that Jesus has shaken the world. And however our current Western empire may or may not go into some sort of decay in coming years, and maybe we've been experiencing some of that and it's pretty unsettling for us. It says that his empire, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, that little stone, is going to keep growing and growing and growing and growing, and growing, and its kingdom has no end. So when I was talking this week to some archbishops from South Sudan on a on a call with uh, with Monique, and the gospel of Jesus has been growing in that part of the world where it wasn't heard of 200 years ago. Incredible! It keeps growing, it keeps growing, and this cross, everybody. It's going to be an incredible weapon for you to fight with. You will have divine power to demolish strongholds. And friends, so, so will you. So will you if you will just accept that wonderful, glorious cross as the only way to fight, the only way to wage battle, the only way to do warfare. Paul used it as a weak person, as a humble person. The super apostles were putting on amazing events with glorious things and saying, we've, they had great shows. He said, I've just got this cross thing. I've just got Jesus. But he's always going to be enough. He's always going to be enough. He's always going to be enough. Should we stand? We're going to uh, respond in, in song and, uh, and prayers. We're going to have a chance to pray for, for Zebedee before before we sing, actually. Um, there are at the back by Tolu. Um, hello to Tolu. Uh, there's a, there's some cards on the table there where it might be that as we say a prayer now, God gives you a picture or a Bible verse or something that you feel is is for this little man. And you might want to just go to the back during the worship and write something on one of those cards uh, and make sure his mum and dad have them at uh, to bring out one day when he's baptised and uh, comes into different knowledge of Jesus as he gets older. Um, So you might want to do that. But I'll just say a prayer and you might just say your own prayers in your heart and see what God reveals to you that you might want to write down for him during this next block of worship. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your cross. We thank you that even when life is really tough, as it was for Paul, when he was faced with things that were really difficult and the sort of conversations that maybe you want to put off and not have straight away, he could reorientate himself to remembering that he followed a saviour who was prepared to be humble and weak, but whose humility and weakness will ultimately mean that he's the Lord of heaven and earth. A saviour who didn't consider a quality of God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And so the name that he's been given will be above every other name. Well, thank you that we too get to be those who say, I'm gonna go humble, gonna go small, so that Jesus can be more, Jesus can be Lord, and his kingdom can grow. And pray tonight, as we pray for Zebedee, that we can also pray for ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that we won't be those who just want to cling on to something from this age, from this world, but those who want to get our hearts and minds right so that we are aligned to Jesus and transformed in his likeness. Whatever we need right now, Lord, I pray that you'll speak to us. And if we need a little bit of tearing down, And we say, come, Lord Jesus, tear us down so that Jesus can be built up in us now. In your precious name, amen.